0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath Learning Format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
1: You're listening to From the Top, where outstanding young musicians come to play. I'm your host, pianist Peter Dugan. We just heard 17-year-old guitarist Kaz Hudson from Centennial, Colorado, perform the prelude from Bach's third cello suite, originally in C major, but played for us just now in G major on the guitar. One of the great joys of hosting From the Top is meeting emerging artists at a point when they're not only finding their musical voice— but also developing their identities as adults. It's so interesting to me how their personal growth is often intertwined with their musical growth. For example, today we'll hear from a clarinetist who totally uprooted his life in Peru to follow his passion for his instrument and study here in the U.S. And then we'll meet a young bassoonist who shares what it's like living with neurodivergence. She'll describe how just feeling the instrument in her hand can provide a sense of calm. Now, let's meet Kaz Hudson, the 17-year-old guitarist who started off our program with that gorgeous Bach. Kaz is one of our Jack Kent Cooke young artists. Kaz, it was so nice to hear that piece that, of course, many of us know and love, but to hear it in this fresh new way, I just loved your approach and your elegant phrasing.
2: Thank you. Yeah, uh, it's really interesting key. Most guitarists play it in A in most arrangements, but I've grown to really enjoy it in G major.
1: Let's talk about Bach for a moment, because I know that for me as a pianist, any Bach comes up, there's strong opinions on whether you should use pedal, whether you should use dynamics. Does the same kind of thing happen in the guitar world?
2: Yeah, definitely. Like The main thing on guitar is the debate of whether or not to have bass notes. Because obviously on the cello, it's a little more limited on how it can form chords and add bass notes versus the guitar, which has six strings and frets, and it's a lot easier to play chords. Right. I really like the way you played it just now. Thank
1: you. Let's talk a little bit about how you got started on guitar, because I understand it was something sort of the polar opposite of this delicate Bach prelude that really first grabbed your attention with the guitar, right?
2: Well, my first experience on guitar was my mom found this teacher, and he just taught Mm -hmm. me, like, all the open position chords. I learned, like, smoke on the water on my first lesson and, like, all the typical guitar stuff. But eventually my mom switched to my teacher that I still have now. And he kind of influenced my direction more towards like jazz and classical music while still encouraging me to explore whatever I wanted. And I think that was like the perfect environment for me.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like you've really had your hand in all kinds of styles and genres, which is something I love to do too at the piano. But that also comes from your mom too. Like she has a musical background, right?
2: Yeah, her parents, my grandparents, they were both opera singers, and my grandma plays piano, too. So she grew up mm-hmm. playing classical piano. And then she actually did jazz vocals and went away from the classical route. Kaz, you have such an interesting family
1: background. Tell me a little bit about the two different cultures in your life and how that's impacted you and your sense of identity.
2: Yeah, I've always grown up with a lot of variety in my life and I think that's been the thing that's made me into the person I am. My mom is Japanese-American. She was born in Colorado, but she's Japanese. And then my dad is white. My grandparents on my mom's side, they immigrated from Japan. And Mm -hmm. my dad's parents are from the Midwest. And then also my dad's interests and my mom's interests uh, were very different. Like My dad was a total jock, and my mom grew up immersed in music world and like art stuff, like theater and Uh stuff. So when I was growing up, I just got to experience all these different things. And I think that variety gave me a unique perspective because I had such exposure at a young age to different stuff. And I've gotten to a point where I feel comfortable exploring pretty much anything I have an interest in. Yeah, and even within music,
1: you enjoy a range of experiences. We just heard that pristine Bach, but I also know that one of your most exciting musical memories was playing under very different conditions.
2: Oh, yeah. My freshman year of high school, I was playing in the pit orchestra for Chicago, our school's production that year. I was the only freshman in the ensemble. I was playing guitar, and I didn't really know anyone. The last show, the audience was cheering, and there was a lot of energy on the stage because all the actors and stuff, there was their of last course. show, too. We just looped the last, like, 8 or 16 bars uh, for the bows, and just every yes. time, it would just get another level higher in energy. Oh. The actors pointed their attention to the pit and the audience started cheering really loud and then it ends on this huge chord. And I just remember yeah. that was like one of the most euphoric musical moments. It felt like a celebration of the whole experience of like the work and how much connection everyone felt to each other. I can feel the rush just hearing you describe it. Hey,
1: Kaz, great to talk to you. Yeah, it was super fun. Thank you. 17-year-old Kaz Hudson. From Centennial, Colorado. Now we get to hear 16 year old Caitlin Nguyen on the bassoon perform the second and third of Jose Siqueira's Three Etudes for Bassoon and Piano. Joining her will be Maria Garcia. 16-year-old Caitlin Nguyen on the bassoon performed the second and third of José Siqueira's three etudes for bassoon and piano. Caitlin is one of our Jack Kent Cooke young artists. Caitlin, you play that beautifully. The second movement was so lyrical Those lines just kept going and going. It was amazing. And then all the double tonguing in the third movement was so exciting and clear. Uh, I'm in awe of the sound you produce on the bassoon, the range of color. And especially knowing that you came to this instrument pretty recently. What has that been like for you to pick up an instrument and so quickly advance to that very high Mm -hmm. level?
3: Yeah, well, actually, like a fun fact, tomorrow marks the day. I started the bassoon, so it will be my fourth year tomorrow of playing the bassoon, so
1: See, that's amazing, (laughs) only only four years, and and you sound like that. Um, Oh, thank you. How were you able to advance so quickly?
3: I think what comes to advancing so quickly is having a passion, a fiery passion for your instrument. Mm. You want to gravitate towards picking up and practicing and always wanting to learn more.
1: Were there struggles along the way?
3: Yes, a lot of struggles,
1: what was it that ultimately brought you back to it and that helped you power through those hard moments?
3: I think what powered me back was I wanted to do this camp. So that that way I can like motivate myself to actually grab my instrument. But I also I wanted to get involved in like orchestras and then that's when I started having a little bit more goals. I want to audition for the National Youth Orchestra and that means I have to practice. So mm-hmm. um having the goals in mind is just like what brings me to grab the instrument.
1: Makes sense. You've told us that you've been diagnosed as neurodivergent. Yes. I don't know if you're if you'd be comfortable chatting with me about that and how it has affected your musical studies.
3: People don't really mention like being like neurodivergent and then a musician and how much that really impacts you. There's just like a bunch of stigma around oh, you have OCD? Like, oh, you must be really organized and stuff like that. That's not the case at all. So um, it's OCD
1: is what you're Yeah, that is, that is yeah.
3: yeah, what I deal with. So that's one part of my identity, but I also want to mention, like, being female presenting and Asian and, like, being orchestra, it's also that. All of it just kind of, mm-hmm, like, comes mm-hmm. together and it's just, like, difficult to tackle. At first, I didn't know it was OCD, and so, like, when I finally found out, it felt like relief. Mm. Um... OCD it stands for obsessive compulsive disorder where you have thoughts obsessive thoughts and then you take these certain actions that could be physical or mental to relieve them but that only like temporarily relieves them and Mm. then it's just a repeating cycle Mm -hmm. for me the way that manifests is like sometimes I could be like practicing and then I have these unwanted thoughts and so I put down my bassoon and stop practicing I've been going through like therapy and stuff and like LCD is not totally curable, but it is manageable. So it's just like letting those thoughts go and not reacting to it. I feel like as a musician, you should trust what you've done in your practice and just try your best and relax.
1: Mm -hmm. So is part of it just learning to live with the fact that you might make a mistake and if you do, like...
3: Yeah, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Right? right. Yeah, I know. Like, just there's a bunch of perfectionism in the music world and... The whole point of music is just to like share the music, like touch someone's feelings. Mm
1: -hmm. I hear you. And I think it's really important for all young musicians to learn from what you're saying right now about letting go of that perfectionism as much as we can. One of the things that really struck me when I was reading about you is that you said sometimes when you're around big crowds, you have anxiety. But when you're actually on stage and the crowd is out there in the audience and you're part of the orchestra, like that anxiety just goes away.
3: Yeah. When I'm with my instrument in orchestra and there's like packed audience, my instrument is what makes me feel like I'm me. I feel calm.
1: That is just so beautiful and so important to share because everyone needs to understand the power that a musical instrument has you know and and the way that it can give a young person like yourself that confidence and comfort we are just so happy to support you here from the top you're also one of our jack kent cook young artists what are you going to do with the funds
3: i'm going to purchase a new bassoon (laughs) yay
1: Yay. congratulations um So proud of what you've done already. It's been great chatting with you. Thanks for your openness and for just being so cool.
3: Thank you.
1: (laughs) Caitlin Nguyen, 16 years old, from Portland, Oregon. Do you want to get a behind-the-scenes look at the making of From the Top? This season, From the Top is recording in studios around the country. We'll be visiting New York, Boston, Austin, Minneapolis, Los Angeles, and Philadelphia. And we're giving some lucky folks guest passes to watch our recording sessions in action. Visit fromthetop.org slash to sign up and learn more.
0: Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Massachusetts Cultural Council, a state agency connecting young people with the arts in schools and in their communities. Learn more at massculturalcouncil.org. From Jarl and Pamela Moan, focusing on civil liberties, foster youth, public radio, and the arts. And from Imaginable Futures, celebrating the hard work, commitment, and achievements of the one in five college students who are parents. More at imaginablefutures.com.
1: On From the Top, we're meeting musicians on the cusp of finding their own voice. For some of these young artists, that means having to wrestle with the legacy of the classical music canon while embracing their love of other genres. It's certainly a topic I think about a lot, and so does Miles, the musician we're going to meet right now. Miles, welcome to From the Top. Yeah, thank you. It's such
4: a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to perform together. What are we going to be playing? We're going to be playing John Williams' elegy for cell and orchestra, but cell and piano. This is a really moving piece. Tell me what you love about it. Obviously, it's an elegy, so it's about loss, and I think it's a really cellistic composition. It carries through all the registers and really gives you a sense of what the cello can do. Yeah, and you really know how to make
1: the instrument cry. You know, I've been (laughs) enjoying rehearsing this so much. Whenever you're ready, let's take this from the top. Yeah, let's do it. That was 16-year-old cellist Miles Levine performing John Williams' Elegy for cello and orchestra, or in this case, piano. I'm Peter Dugan, and I had the honor of joining Miles on the piano. Miles, I just love playing that piece with you, and I have to say I'm so impressed by the way you control that bow arm. I could listen all the way to the end of the note as it was just getting tinier, and the sound still had spin in it. I know how difficult it is to do that, and it was gorgeous. Oh, thank you so much. I feel like you're the kind of player who really puts all of your passion into it. Something that I know you and I have in common is our love of all kinds of music. We just jammed out on that John Williams, but you're also
4: a fan of jazz, of Latin music, funk music. Yeah. When I'm not in a classical mood, I've been playing a lot of Corey Wong. Oh, Um, yeah. It's uplifting music. I think it's good to keep you in a good mood. I know that you feel like the whole term of classical music is
1: maybe problematic or just needs to be shaken up. Talk to me a little bit about your feelings on that.
4: Yeah, so I'm part of the group that thinks that the term classical music should be changed to mm-hmm. something else because the classical era is like a tiny portion of yeah of all the Mozart cl- Haydn exactly it's the, the classical era. yeah and there's so much more out there think of Florence Price like Torina or a lot of these I'm a big fan of the 20th century yeah. kind of sound and I think that it just needs to be redefined in that way the example I always give is, if
1: you think about Schubert and Nina Simone, I think there's a lot more in common there than Schubert and Milton Babbitt. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Let's jump to a, to a totally different topic here, mm-hmm. think tanks. You've been doing research. How, do, how did this all get started?
4: Well, I'm taking a research course at oh, my school. Uh-huh. I remember reading a couple of investigative reports on, I think it was Brookings and Heritage and the Times, but... I kind of realized how much sway these organizations have over public opinion and public policy. So this summer, basically, I'm working with the chair of the political science department at the University of Western Ontario, Dr. Donald Abelson, looking at the relationship between kind of typologies. There's like a classical typology of think tanks in the U.S., their output, and then where they receive their funding. What do you mean by these typologies? So there's a paper written by Weaver in 1989 where he defines three classical types of think tanks in the U.S., advocacy tanks, university without students tanks, and contract research organizations. Uh Uh-huh. And they do research on whatever the organization that they're working for, whatever their policy goals are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, your brain is already a sort of
1: think tank unto itself. You're such an interesting guy, and what a great player, too. It's it's been really fun getting to know you and getting to perform together.
4: Yeah, you too.
1: Thank you so much. Miles Levine, 16 years old, from Hastings-on-Hudson, New York. You're listening to From the Top, and I'm pianist Peter Dugan. Did you know that From the Top posts short, beautiful videos of our young musicians every day? The series is called Daily Joy. Treat yourself to youthful inspiration daily. Sign up at fromthetop.org.
0: Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism, offering visitors information about the arts, culture, and history of Boston. The journey begins at visitma.com. From Senior Helpers, providing families with personalized in-home care for seniors and those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, and Parkinson's, committed to helping loved ones remain safe and independent at home, at seniorhelpers.com. And from the Doris Duke Foundation.
1: Welcome back to From the Top, where outstanding young musicians come to play. I'm your host, pianist Peter Dugan, and it's so great to be with all of you, thanks to the generosity of Susan and Gerald Slavitt. If you're just joining us, we've been listening to young musicians who are growing into their musical voice as they are growing into themselves. 18-year-old Joaquin Chavez is a clarinetist who's not only exploring new places in his music, but also geographically. Originally from Peru... He's now living and studying at the Interlaken Arts Academy in Michigan. Joaquin will perform for us now the Sonatina by Malcolm Arnold. He's joined by Yaru Chang at the piano. Whenever you're ready, you and Yaru Chang can take it from the top. Thank you. <laughs> heard Malcolm Arnold's Sonatina for Clarinet and Piano, the first and last movements, performed by 18-year-old clarinetist Joaquin Chavez, originally from Peru, now studying at the Interlock Arts Academy in Michigan. Joaquin is one of our Jack Kent Cook young artists, and he was joined by Yaru Chong at the piano. Joaquin, you play with such beautiful phrasing, such clarity of rhythm
5: and character. I think that's the first time I've ever heard that piece, and you just made me fall in love with it. Bravo. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's such a fun piece that I learned in Peru with my teacher, Luis Vargas. Very cool that you played for us a piece that you first were
1: exposed to back home. Could you tell me a little bit about your arrival in the U.S. to
5: study at Interlaken like... What a huge change from Peru. Sure. I first came here in 2021 for the summer camp. It was a really good experience where I got to play with an orchestra for the first time. And I made a lot of friends. I really wanted to stay here for more time. So last year Mm -hmm. I applied for the academy and it was the best decision that I could have made. Yeah. At the beginning, it was all like lost all the time and my english was worse than now so it was really hard for me no your english is great look at you just on the npr radio interview (laughs)
1: and it was only what two years ago that you first came to the u.s it's just amazing thank you how did your family feel when you told them that you were thinking of coming to the u.s for boarding school
5: they always support me, but they were kind of worried because it would be my first time leaving my country for more than, like, a month or something like that. Yeah. And I'm really, really close to them, but I always call them, like, every night. Also, coming here means a really big financial effort for my family. So mm-hmm. my grandparents, they're also helping me. It's great to know that they've got your back.
1: Yeah. Now, tell me a little bit about your musical influences. Growing up in Peru, did you listen to Peruvian music? And was the style of clarinet playing any different there than what you've been
5: trained in now here at Interlochen? I started playing clarinet in my middle school. Sometimes we did stuff like Merchant Band, but Mm -hmm. we mostly did dances and music from Peru. And yeah, the playing in Peru, it's different from here. Just that... The way we play the instrument, like, not in the musicality and not the phrasing. I think that's a general idea around the world. Yes. It was more like how I blew the instrument, I like, where I put my tongue, and all these technical Mm. things that I had to change a little bit. I feel like it was an improvement, so I'm really happy for it.
1: Well, that's great. Joaquin, you've experienced so much change in your life but one thing that I know has been a constant for you is your love of football or, you know, soccer, as we call it here.
5: Yeah, that's true. I grew up watching football as everybody in my country is like part of the culture. And here right. in I got to meet some people also from another countries that also enjoy football in the World Cup. It was like really fun to watch those games. We also play football together here in Interlochen.
1: That's great. And a little bit of healthy competition is a good thing. I think you've said that there's a bit of good healthy competition at Interlochen musically too, and that there are people who you can look up to and you kind of inspire each other.
5: Yeah, here in Interlochen, everybody plays amazing. So yeah, I think that helped me a lot to improve my playing. Yeah, I think it's so
1: great to be in an environment where everyone around you is inspiring you to just be better and keep growing. Before we go, I have to congratulate you. You're one of our Jack Kent Cook young artists. That's so great and we're really happy to support you. Thank you so much. What are you planning to do with the funds from the scholarship or do you know yet?
5: I actually I already use the funds and one of the biggest things I got my A client that is helping me now to play in orchestra, to play pieces that require that instrument. I don't know if everybody knows, but client players usually have two clients or more. These are the client in B flat and the client in A.
1: Right. Could you help our listeners understand why that is?
5: I think it is cause sometimes the tuning on an A or B flat helps the clients to make the music easier in some way right. for, for the key and stuff like that. But it's like a really nice client. I'm really thankful for the prize.
1: That's great. We're so happy to help support you. Joaquin, we're so glad that you came to perform for us today. It was a really fantastic rendition of that Malcolm Arnold sonatina, and you just brought it to life for us. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for the invitation. It was such a nice experience. 18-year-old clarinetist Joaquin Chavez, originally from Peru, now living and studying at the Interlaken Arts Academy. Speaking of exploring new territory, now we get to meet 17-year-old pianist Eric Zhang from Bedford, Massachusetts, who is in the midst of his own musical exploration. Eric, welcome to From the Top. Hi, nice to meet you. You've got a really cool piece which sort of straddles the worlds of classical and jazz. What are you going to play for us?
6: I will be playing the seventh piece from Friedrich Gulde's Play Piano Play.
1: Friedrich Gulde was an artist who was just as much a jazz pianist as he was a classical pianist. The piece that you're going to be performing for us is certainly more along the lines of the jazz style. Curious if you could talk a little bit about how you found this piece and why is it that you feel this is the music that represents where you're at right now?
6: It all started a couple of years ago. I was browsing around YouTube. I hadn't really heard classical music played on synthesizers and organs. I was inspired by a group of pieces that Goda wrote, almost like etudes, to help encourage freedom and like modern expression in classical pianists. It was like one of those sheet music videos where you see the music as the audio plays. When we got to number seven, I saw that it was a lead sheet, which was really cool because you don't see that really often in classical music.
1: When you say lead sheet, you're talking about a piece of music that doesn't actually have every note written down. It just says the names of the chords, right? So C minor Mm -hmm. 7, and then you have to kind of fill in the rest. Yeah,
6: and now that I've graduated and I'm kind of on my own in terms of what to do artistically, I've been kind of getting into jazz lately and like Gouda I think I'm also on the cusp of jazz and classical music.
1: So you will be improvising in this performance right just so everyone knows?
6: Yes absolutely.
1: Cool Uh, whenever you're ready take it from the top. 17-year-old pianist Eric Zhang from Bedford, Massachusetts, performed the seventh movement of Friedrich Gulda's Play Piano Play. And you heard Eric's own stylings and improvisations within that work. Eric, I really love what you did with it, and it's so exciting for me to meet a young musician who has that strong classical background but is now starting to explore jazz. I'm wondering if this piece takes you to a different place emotionally than when you sit down to play, say, a Chopin Ballade.
6: Yeah, I think the thing that really called me to this piece is that the opening sounds like you could be like about to play Ravel or something. It just sounds so rooted in the classical world. I think the melodies are all really beautiful. Um, my two biggest inspirations for this were Keith Jarrett and Bill Evans.
1: So, you're at this moment where you're trying to decide who is Eric Zhang? Are you currently leaning more towards being primarily a
6: classical artist or primarily a jazz artist? Honestly, I feel like I'm really trying to bridge the two worlds with pieces like this or with composers like Kabustin, who sit on the edge of the two worlds. I've just been really into contemporary music and improvising and finding that balance in the middle where I live as a musician.
1: How does that affect the way you approach a Beethoven sonata?
6: I was recently in my wonderful teacher, uh, Mr. Rivera, at NEC's piano seminar. And our project for the semester was Chopin Mazurka's. I had Opus 56 number 3. Mr. Rivera invited Roberto Poli into our class to talk about them. When he got to mine, I played it. Mr. Poli, he started telling me about how like when Chopin would play for his students, his students would be like, Chopin, you're playing in 4, but this piece is in 3-3. Three, three. And Chopin was like, no, I'm playing <laughs> it in 3-3. Three, three. He told me, Like I could take brief pauses on certain notes to really emphasize like the mazurka accent and feel. And then he told me to really just like listen to all four lines and bring them out um, wherever I needed. And I feel like that was such a interesting way of looking at a Chopin mazurka. It never occurred to me that like Chopin himself would have likely just paused on like the second beat of some measure where nothing is indicated yeah. to emphasize like an accent on that beat. I think just bringing that kind of mindset to more classical pieces is really interesting, and I think that's something I want to bring to like Beethoven or Schubert when I play.
1: Yeah, all of those great composers, they were all improvisers. It's so important for us to remember that. Maybe mm-hmm. you'll get to the point where you'd feel comfortable having an improvised prelude or an improvised interlude in the middle of a Chopin piece. You never know. Mm -hmm. So that's exciting to me that you're exploring all of that. It's incredible to me that you would have time to do anything else with all the music you're doing. But from what I understand, when you do have spare time, you use that time to volunteer at a foundation. Can you tell me a little bit about this foundation and what your connection is to it?
6: I was born with a bilateral cleft palate and lip. The Foundation, which is the Foundation for the Faces of Children, is an organization that aims to help the families of those with craniofacial differences like mine. They're a really good resource. I think they offer education, they fundraise, and they offer like summer camps for kids with craniofacial differences. And I've always been pretty closely connected with Dr. Mulliken over at Boston Children's because he was the one who did all the operating on me when I was a kid. I recorded videos for them. I think we raised like over a thousand dollars, which was pretty good. And then I also taught private lessons for them. I got to like meet other um, people with craniofacial conditions for the first time who were around my age.
1: Mm. That must have been powerful. And what I love about this story is how you're finding this way to combine your musical talents and your generous spirit to give back to this community that you're personally connected to. Eric, I just want to say thank you for being on the show with us today. It's been such a pleasure.
6: Thank you so much for having me.
1: 17-year-old pianist Eric Zhang from Bedford, Massachusetts. I hope you all enjoyed getting to know these musicians as much as I did. I'm really grateful to them for being so open and honest about who they are. Thank you to all of them for their performances, for their great stories, and thanks to all of you for listening and spending some time with us. I'm your host, Peter Dugan. Please join me next week for more sublime music here on From the Top. Thanks to all of the sound engineers who worked on today's program. Alex Palmer at CCM Recording Studio in Denver, Colorado. Mark Cater at Falcon Recording Studios in Portland, Oregon. Kevin Carrillo at Sound on Sound Studios in Montclair, New Jersey. Michael Culler at Interlochen Public Radio. And John Weston at Futura Productions in Boston, Massachusetts. From the Top is produced by Megan Swan and Abigail Desser. Sound design and music editing by John Escobar with editing and mastering by Rodrigo Cuenca. Our production manager is Amanda Roth. From the Top's executive director is Gretchen Nielsen. From the Top is an independent nonprofit organization based in Boston. If you'd like to appear on our program, apply online at fromthetop.org. From the Top is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts. On the web at arts.gov.
0: Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Dignity Memorial, dedicated to celebrating each life with compassion and attention to detail. They help to plan life celebrations now so families don't have to later. Learn more at DignityMemorial.com. From the Jack Kent Cooke Foundation, providing scholarships to high-achieving students with financial need, jkcf.org. And from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, Helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age.
1: Thanks for listening to our podcast. You know, while From the Top is distributed by NPR, it isn't owned by NPR. It's an independent nonprofit, and so we have to do our own fundraising to make it happen. Please consider making a donation to our ongoing entertainment and education programs at FromTheTop.org.
4: What does it mean to be black in America? An NPR's Black Stories Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as black experiences. You'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories Black Truths wherever you get your podcast.